Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Today's broadcast is going to serve, I, I believe, for three purposes. Number one, it's going to bring restoration of peace and sanity of mind to many people. As they see their dominion over devils, it's going to bring illumination in their own spirits. In your spirit today, you're going to understand your superiority over the devil and how not complicated it is to cast out devils. And that's going to bring you great confidence and boldness. You're not going to be a coward walking through life wondering where the devil's at. Matter of fact, it's going to change. The devil's going to be wondering where you're at and be sure not be sure not to come across, <laughs> across your paths. And then number three, I believe today is going to be a day of empowerment and release that God is going to raise up people from this broadcast that are going to go out not only with a heart to preach the gospel and see people saved and delivered, but they'll be equipped and empowered with the necessary weapons of spiritual warfare necessary to, uh, to liberating mankind from all oppression of the devil. So if you'll take a second and share this broadcast, it's going to be a nuclear bomb on hell today. And I really firmly believe that God is going to raise up people from this broadcast as, uh, as spiritual snipers, SEAL Team 6, to go out in the highways and the byways and get the work of the ministry done. Remember, the work of the ministry is not handing out socks and hugs to people. Those are great things. We're, you know, the Bible says we are to care for the poor. We are to def definitely not close our eyes to the cries of the poor. We are to help the poor. We are to hand out socks. We are to build people, orphan you know, orphanages and pure undefiled religion is taking care of orphans. We understand that, but the true work of the minister and as an ambassador for the kingdom which you are an ambassador for the kingdom I want you to understand that I want you to actually write that in the comment section I am an ambassador for the kingdom of God I am an ambassador of heaven write that out I'm an ambassador of heaven you know, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you are an ambassador for heaven. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents heaven's interests, heaven's agenda, and heaven's priority. So as an ambassador, you are called, not only called, but fully equipped by the power of the Holy Ghost to represent heaven's interest on the earth. And 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 makes heaven's interest very clear. In evident terms, the Son of God was made manifest. God sent Jesus for this purpose. He was made manifest. He came to the earth to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus Christ came to the earth to destroy the work of the devil. What was the devil's work? Well, we look at Eden. We see that Eden had no sickness. Eden had no disease. Eden had no sin. Eden had no oppression and nobody was in captivity. Adam wasn't taking medication for schizophrenia or other, some other mental illness uh, every single every single day, morning, noon, and night. He was free. He walked free. He was clothed with God's power. When sin entered the world, Satan's system entered the world. And that system has plagued every single sector of society to this day. And... Uh, and we see it evidently, especially approaching these last days, 
Paul didn't say as the last days approach that we're going to see less demon activity. He actually said, as you see the day of the Lord approaching, there's going to be more doctrines of demons that are circulated, not only in the world, but even in the body of Christ. There's going to be more doctrines of demons. There's going to be more false prophets and false teachers that arise that show false signs and lying wonders. So that tells you if there's false signs and lying wonders, then there are true signs and true signs and wonders. But the Bible says as the day of the Lord approaches, there's going to be false prophets that are trying to direct attention to themselves. There's going to be demonic activity, demonic networking that arises in these last days as a last ditch effort to bring man into Satan's captivity and keep man in Satan's captivity to prevent a last day move of God, which the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah chapter 4, that there's going to be a last day move of God. There's going to be a last uh, a, a wind of heaven that hits the earth, a latter day rain that's going to bring in, I believe, the most amount of souls, the greatest evangelistic efforts are, are reserved for these last days and the greatest evangelistic results are going to take place in these last days. So it's no wonder that Satan himself, knowing Bible prophecy, is going to vamp up his efforts and try to prevent it. But how many of you know the devil is hardwired to fail? The devil is hardwired for failure. Everything he tries to do, everything he attempts, every weapon he forms is only destined to fail and flop. The Bible says in Isaiah 54, 17, that, um, that God will not allow any weapon that is formed against us to prosper, and every tongue or any enemy that would rise up against us, we have power with God to condemn that thing. I want you to understand something. God not only delights the reason why God, you know, the Bible says there's no weapon formed against us that's going to prosper. So some people, they ask me, you know, why doesn't God just not allow the devil to even form a weapon? Why doesn't God just destroy the devil once and for all and get rid of him off the scene? Because God not only delights in not letting the weapon prosper, God delights in letting, because remember, Satan has limited resources. Satan has limited power. Satan has limited uh, uh uh, demons and all that at his at his disposal he has limited workers he is limited in what he can do so he and he's not omnipresent and he's not omnipotent he can't he doesn't have all power and he can't be everywhere at once so he has to take strategic investments he has to invest in a certain thing so if he wants to form a weapon he has to invest in that weapon he has to invest time resources energy which are all limit are all limited to satan so god not only delights in seeing the devil's work spoil, he loves to let the devil work on his stuff, invest everything he's got, almost get his work up, his, his hope up, so that at the last minute he pulls the plug so that Satan is not only, not only do his plans fail, but it's like his self-esteem and his own, his own um, confidence in self continues to take a hit till this day. It's like when you're writing a, a paper in high school and you start writing that paper and you spend five, six, seven hours last minute writing it up. Then finally, you're about to click save and a your electricity in the home goes out. You lost everything. You didn't save it. Now, you're not only mad because you're going to miss the assignment tomorrow. You don't have enough time to redeem yourself, but you invested all that time. There's an increased level of frustration because of the eight hours you just wasted. It's exactly what the devil delights doing, 
that God delights in doing to the devil. Not only does he like frustrating his plans, he loves to see the devil work tirelessly to bring a plan to, to fruition and then it just fail miserably. And you see that. That's what the Bible is. It's a catalog of God letting the devil work his work and do his stuff for a little bit of time until God arises. And we know that the Bible says when God arises, all of his enemies are fail, uh, all of his enemies are scattered. So take courage and be of good heart to day because no matter what the devil's trying to do there's a lot of people you're focused on what the devil's doing not even realizing that God behind the scenes is just letting him work a little while longer so that at the fullness of the times as he comes in his work is spoiled and 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 there's a glorious there's a glorious freedom that comes but let me let, uh, that's not what I'm talking about today I'm talking about how I learned to cast out demons how I learned to cast out demons so why am I doing this today? Because there's a lot of misinformation, misunderstanding, and poor teaching that is circulated throughout the kingdom, uh, throughout, throughout, throughout the church, throughout the world, that leads to this dreadful fear for the demonic rather than what the Bible teaches that we're not to be in fear of the demonic, we're to have dominion over the demonic. And so I say this at the onset of this broadcast, any type of teaching that strikes fear in you for the demonic, any type of teaching that would cause you to worry about the devil, any type of teaching that would cause you to be confused as to your superiority over the devil is rooted in hell and it is a demonic doctrine of, it's a de doctrine of demons that is being circulated to try and keep Christians in captivity rather than have them walk free. Listen to this, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25, the Bible says, in humility we should correct those that are in opposition to truth. If God will perhaps grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and get this, and that they may come to their senses, so the devil, his main objective is to prevent people from knowing the truth. Oftentimes you can read throughout the scripture that the devil is called the prince of the power of darkness. He's the prince of darkness. He's the ruler of darkness. Oftentimes you see these terms or these titles delegated to uh, specifically to Satan and to, and to demons. They are, uh, they are, they are. The Bible talks about principalities and powers, spiritual forces of darkness. Now, the reason why it talks about them being in darkness is that that's where they, they best operate. That's where they best uh, can manipulate people in darkness because truth is light. So the devil works overtime in trying to keep people in darkness, which is deprived of truth so that he can continue to manipulate, continue to influence, continue to strike fear in people, continue to suppress, oppress, and possess, and get people robbed of God's best for their life. So Paul says that God... We should pray that God gives people repentance so that they may know the truth and when they come into the knowledge of the truth, verse 26 says this, that they may come to their senses so that in, in uh, 2022 English we would say so that their, their eyes would be open or so that the light would go on, so that the light bulbs would begin to, to flash and they would escape the snare of the devil. 
having been taken captive by him to do his will. So the Bible says when the senses are enlightened, when knowledge comes, when truth is illuminated in the human spirit, when the light bulbs start to turn on, two things happen. We escape the snare of the devil and we escape the captivity of the devil, which was on our life, causing us to do his will, which what's the devil's will? His will is threefold. John 10, 10, to steal from your life, to kill your life, your body, your finances, your, your, your mental health, and to de ultimately destroy your life and destroy your family. Understand this. This is why I'm talking about the subject of demons today, because just like God needs people and he, he has angels to get his will done on the earth, the devil has demons and he gets demons to seek corporality, which is to seek the possession of a human vessel to get his will done on the earth. So the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he doesn't do it by wishing. He has a plan of action, and he gets that plan done by using his spiritual forces, which are demons, and those demons taking human corporality. That's why they seek to take possession of human beings, because demons are spirit beings. They cannot express themselves until they have human expression, until they can express themselves through human bodies, uh, just like, uh, an, you know, just like um, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit expresses himself and gets, gets the work of God done by using human vessels, human beings. The Bible says that, uh, that when uh, Jesus was about to go to heaven, he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost has come on you, and he's going to empower you to be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit uses people to be witnesses for heaven's will. In the same vein, the devil has demon spirits that seek to use... See, Everything the devil does is a counterfeit of heaven. Everything, he does not have any type of uh, original, um, original tactics. He doesn't have any ability to conceive something new for his own self. He just mimics and imitates. So the devil has spiritual forces, demons, that seek to counterfeit heaven's way of doing things by seeking human corporality to possess human beings because remember we as christians are holy spirit possessed but the devil tries to get the people under his captivity because remember when we were without christ we were under the dominion of the devil he uh, ephesians chapter 2 says we were under the control of the spirit of disobedience whether you knew it or not you were serving the devil maybe you didn't have this like you know, maybe you weren't fully demonized and you were manifesting and all that, but you were to a certain level influenced, manipulated, and under the control of Satan when you were without Christ. The Bible says when we got saved, we were delivered from the powers of darkness and we were delivered into or translated to the kingdom of God's dear son, a kingdom of light. So whether you knew it or not, before you got saved, you were part of the dominion of darkness and were without, just by nature, you were captive, held captive to do Satan's will. So the Bible says the way you broke free from that, think of it, when you got saved, it was through illumination. You heard the gospel, the gospel truth came alive in your heart, your eyes were open. The blinders of the enemy fell. Those scales that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 
that the God of this age seeks to place on people to keep them from believing in the gospel. Those scales fell. You saw the light of the gospel. You saw the truth. And just like Jesus said, it came true for you. Ye shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You were set free from sin. You were set free from, 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 uh, from, from demonic manipulation and harassment. But understand this. Understand this. There are, and this is why I'm doing this broadcast twofold, not only so that I can equip people today to have this like my, my, my total objective, my ultimate objective in doing this today is twofold. Number one, I want you to leave this broadcast having a utter disrespect for the kingdom of darkness and for hell and for Satan himself, no longer holding him in a place of reverence and in a place of high esteem. And then number two, my purpose in doing this broadcast is to raise you up with a superiority complex over the devil so that the next time you see his activity around you, you don't cower in fear, but you rise up to the occasion and in boldness because of the blood of Christ, the name of Christ, and the power of the Holy Ghost in you, you take action and, and begin to, to be an agent of change, a, a deliverer in your generation. We need this truth circulated in the body of Christ more than ever before. There's too many preachers and ministries, they shy away from talking about this because what if we start talking about this and people think, you know, we're weird or people think we're super fanatics or people think, let me tell you something. It, the, the moment you got saved and you started to confess Jesus rose from the dead, you were already labeled as weird in the eyes of the world. Who cares what the world thinks of you? Who cares? Do you honestly think I care about what somebody who doesn't know what bathroom to use thinks about me and my position on the supernatural? Absolutely not. The Bible truth has been the truth through the ages. It's not a primitive truth. It's not something that, you know, we're in 2022 now. It's it's primitive to think or that's that's primitive thinking. Uh, to, to continue to believe that demons exist. No, no, we understand the origins of many diseases and many mental illnesses today and why people have those fits. There's a lack of this chemical in the brain or there's a lack of, you see, that's exactly the ploy of the devil. Let me, let me tell you something. Lester Sumrall said this. Lester Sumrall said, the devil's best defense has been his successful delusion of mankind into thinking that he doesn't actually exist. That everything we see has a natural meaning or a natural explanation for it. Let me tell you, there may be a natural explanation for it. But behind the natural, there's a supernatural and a spiritual manipulation of that thing. There is a natural explanation when you see cancer on an x-ray. But behind the scenes, there's a, there is a demon at work. That's why they talk about cancer having a life. There's a life to a cancer. That's why it spreads so violently and aggressively. You ever heard that? Well, that's an aggressive form of cancer because there's, there is a demon force behind. And Jesus talked about a spirit of sickness, a spirit of infirmity in Luke chapter 13. See, if you negate the existence of what I'm talking about today of demon presence, then you are greatly at a disadvantage in our world. 
warfare against these things. Because Hebrews, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says we do not war against flesh and blood. Paul was saying not everything's natural. Not everything's seen to the eye. Not everything that we're seeing with our eye can be explained by things we see with our eye, our natural eyes. He said that our, 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 our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It is against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, against principalities, against powers of the unseen realm. But the good news is today is that no matter how strong a demon power is, no matter what principality, uh, you know, might be in your region or whatever, you know, people come up with all kinds of stuff there. Well, there's a real strong demon principality in here and that's why we've not been able to do that. People that talk like that don't understand their position. They don't understand the reality of redemption. So my... That's why I said before, when people talk about demonology and casting out devils, if it puts in you a sense of fear, a sense of inferiority of, or, uh, in your relation with the devil, if it puts in you this worry or concern in you, then throw it out, flush it out of your life. Today is not going to do that to you. This broadcast is going to pump in you a holy confidence that no matter where you go, no matter where you go, no matter what you come in contact with, the same power that enabled Christ, that by the Spirit of God, He cast out devils, that power is, good, is working mightily in you, and you're going to see the same results from today. How I learned to cast out devils. Number one, number one, we have to understand that you have an enemy. And I said it before, the greatest lie the devil has pitched to our generation is the lie that he, di he doesn't exist. It's the lie that he is uh, just a, um, a representation of evil, that he is an idea or some sort of, you know, uh, some sort of mystical influence or an abstract theory that he's not a person, that he's not an actual entity that has a threefold purpose, which is to steal, kill, and destroy from the people of God. If the devil can get you to, to believe that, then he has won the greatest victory in your life because he can do anything he wants to you. And all you're going to do, think of it. What is, what is the main, you know, the main problem people have when you start to talk about God? They say one thing. Well, if God was so good, why does this, 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 and this happen? If God is so good, why is it that my aunt died of this when I was four? If God is so good, why is there poverty in this world? You see, the devil's convinced them that God is the only power at work on earth. That's not true. The Bible actually says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that the devil is the God of this age, the God of this world, the cosmos, the systems of this world. So God's not the author of poverty or sickness or any of those things. The reason we know that is because he didn't instill those things in the Garden of Eden. What he created was Eden, which was very good. It was perfect. It was absent of all those things. It was when Satan entered and sin entered that Adam forfeited the keys of dominion over planet Earth to the devil. And the devil legally retrieved ownership of this present cosmos the 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 um the the system of this world the way the world runs as the 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 laws that govern this world the spiritual laws that govern this world and as a result the bible says in romans 5 sin and death and everything that is categorically listed under those two things sin and death entered into the world 
and has been plaguing the human race ever since then. So when you see those things happen, you know, is there sickness in heaven? No. Is there poverty in heaven? No. So you know that it's not God's creation. You know it's not God's will. Just understand this. Satan is diametrically opposed to everything God does. Demons are diametrically opposed to everything God is and God does. So the devil, he didn't have to, he didn't have to create sickness. He just had to look, God loves strength. Let me do the opposite. That's where sickness came from. God loves truth. Let me do the opposite. That's where lies came from. God loves, uh, God, God obviously created uh, everything in the, the Eden was, um, Eden was a, a, a symbol of prosperity. God loves prosperity. Let me do the opposite and bring poverty on the earth. And so Romans 8, 2 says the laws of sin and death talks about the laws of sin and death. Those are sat that's Satan's legal system. When Adam sinned, Satan's legal system infiltrated this earth and that's the origin of all those things. So you don't need 18 volumes of theological dissertations and all kinds of books written on why does evil exist. It's very simple. Evil exists because of the presence of the evil one, Satan. He's not a representation of evil. He is an active agent, an entity, a person. He has a will. He has characteristics. He has pride. He has, he can, he has lusts. He has emotions. He has organizational skills. He has planning abilities. Those things are not... Uh, you can't have all those things if you were just a thought or a theory. Those are the characteristics of an entity, of a personality. He has sentience. He has awareness. He's aware of things. The Bible says he's going to and fro, looking on the earth. He's very, he's aware. He's, he's sentient. He's not this dulled state of mind. He has the ability to communicate. He communicated with Jesus. He communicated with Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. He communicated with, um, with, with the disciples, uh, or, or rather with Paul the disciple in Acts chapter, nine, uh, Acts chapter 16 when the demon was, uh, that demon had possessed a certain slave girl and she began to communicate saying these men are, are servants of the most high God. So demons and the devil can communicate. So these are not symbols of evil. They are real personalities. They have emotions. They get angry. The Bible says Satan has been cast down to the earth having great wrath. So he can get angry. He can get wrathful. He's, that's all he is actually. And, and they, they have opinions. They have the ability to persuade. They have the ability to, 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 um, to, to, to deceive. Those are not characteristics of a symbol or representation of something. Those are characteristic traits of an actual personality. Jesus dealt with the devil as a person in the, um, in, in the, the wilderness when he was tempted over those 40 days and 40 nights as he fasted. The devil came having three temptations and every time Jesus didn't say, no, I rebuke that thought. He didn't say that. He said, I rebuke you, Satan. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. When he was talking to, uh, to Peter, when Satan had momentarily taken advantage of, of Peter's mouth and, say, and Peter had lent his mouth to the devil to speak those things. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You can see 
that Jesus dealt with demon powers as personalities. He talked in Mark chapter 5 to the gathering demoniac. He said, how long has this been? Um, no, that was in Mark chapter 9, to the, to the man that brought his son to, to Jesus. He said, how long has this thing been happening to the boy? When the demons saw him, he began to convulse and shake, was shaking, foaming at the mouth. So there was a reaction there. There was an encounter there. Mark chapter 5, the gathering demoniac. He said, what is your name? And the demon replied. So these are personalities. The devil's best defense, as I said, is his successful delusion into thinking, making people think that he doesn't exist. But the Bible makes over 200 mentions, 200 references to, de to the devil and to demons in the entire Bible. In Genesis 3, we see his entrance in the Garden of Eden. In Job chapter 1, we see God saying, where have you come, Satan? And he said, from walking and roaming the earth to and fro. In Matthew chapter 4, we see the devil as the tempter, tempting Jesus in the wilderness. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, we see the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, we see that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In Revelation 12, we see that he is the dragon, the old serpent of old, the deceiver. And in Revelation 20, we see his ultimate end and his demise. So, number one, if we're going to learn to cast out devils, my number, the first thing that I learned in how to cast out devils is... I came to the conclusion that there's an actual devil. There's an actual opposition, an adversary. There, Satan is not a fictional character or some primitive thought that because we didn't have the advancement in modern science that we have today, they didn't know how to explain all these things, so they just gave it a name. They called it the devil. That's not true. If that were true, the Bible says Jesus, like I said, he dealt with demonic powers. He didn't, he didn't see you know, the gathering demoniac come his way and him gather his disciples and say, hey, listen, I know that we oftentimes refer to this type of manifestation as a demonic manifestation, but know this, in about 2,000 years or so, we're going to come to a great advancement in, uh, in, in science and technology, and the advancements are going to lead us to finally come to the truth of this, which I've known all along, that the devil is not a real thing, that there's actually just a chemical imbalance in this guy's brain, and so this is just a primitive way, and for the time being, we'll call it demons, but one day we're actually going to, we're going to advance and we're going to evolve to a point where we're actually going to get to the crux of the matter that it had nothing to do with demons or all, all that supernatural stuff. It, it, there's a natural way to explain these things. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus came, got, got to the very core of the issue. He, there was a demon at work. This, the woman that was bent over double. He didn't say, you know, some people call this a spirit of infirmity, but you know what? We understand that this is actually just... Um, this is rheumatoid arthritis. Now, because Dr. Luke, who we have traveling with us here, he actually, uh, he, 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 no matter his studies, he hasn't. Come, he, we haven't uh, medically come to. Um, um, we've had. We haven't had medical advancements to the level of actually diagnosing this. So even Luke's not aware of this. But I'm the son of God. I know all things. This is actually rheumatoid arthritis. So let's not call it what it is and let's call it what it is. That's not what Jesus said. He said this woman's been bound by Satan and this is a spirit of infirmity. So understand, number one, the devil's a real foe and he has a real hatred for mankind. Now understand this. 
Which leads me to point number two. We have to come to not only understand he exists, but understand his history. If you're going to learn to cast out devils, you're going to have to understand the history of the demonic, the history of the origin of demons and the devil himself through the ages. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 14. Listen, Isaiah. Listen to what Isaiah had to say. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 17. But before I say that, let's, step, let's take even a step further back in the history. Why is it that the devil has such a hatred for mankind? Well, first of all, the devil was created before man. That's evident. The devil was created before man. Uh, as we're going to read in Isaiah 14, he was an archangel. He had a high place in heaven. Actually, he wasn't even an archangel. He was a cherub. The Bible calls him the anointed cherub. So that's, that's, even, that, that's a high-level angel. And I've done a broadcast on angels and the hierarchy of angels. That's a high-level angel. So the devil wasn't some low-level goon that you know, said, you know what, I'm through pick, uh, getting God's coffee here. I, 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 I want to take advantage. I, I want to usurp God's authority and go even... You know, he, he wasn't like being... Um, treated poorly in heaven he had a high level of authority in heaven when did satan fall now some people might differ in opinion and that's fine i believe because of my understanding of ezekiel 28 and isaiah 14 that satan fell somewhere between man's creation and man's fall obviously because in man's fall satan was an integral uh, component of that why do i believe that because I used to believe that perhaps Satan fell before man was created. But I don't think I can hold to that belief anymore because Ezekiel 28, there's a detail in there, referring to Satan, it says that you were in Eden, the garden of God, and, it's and you were the perfect seal of beauty. Saying that in Eden, so God had already created Eden where Adam was, and Satan had not yet fallen because it says, while he was in Eden, he was still the seal of perfection and beauty. That's in Ezekiel 28. So it, he couldn't have fallen before Eden. It had to have been in some, t some, how long Adam was in Eden before the fall happened? We don't know. But Satan, I believe, because of Ezekiel 28 saying, while Satan was in Eden, he was the emblem of beauty, that he had to have fallen between the time God created Eden, and obviously the time where God, um, where, where Satan deceived Eve. That's that's in my opinion, scripturally, that's the time frame of Satan's fall. Now understand this. Why did why did Satan fall? We understand in Isaiah 14, you know, the Bible says. You said in your heart, I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. Pride was found in his heart. The Bible says uh, in Ezekiel 28, you were the perfect emblem of beauty until iniquity and sin was found in you. So the Bible says that uh, there, was a, there was this pride, this insolence of heart that was found in Satan that he, he acted on and he tried to wage war against heaven. The Bible says in Revelation 12, the devil gathered his, his angels that he had convinced to come to battle with him against God. And the Bible says the devil and his angels waged war against Michael and his angels, but they prevailed not. Neither was there any, found place, any place found for them in heaven, but they were cast down to the earth having great uh, wrath, knowing that their time was now you know, over and their time was 
but a short while now. So what could have caused if Satan and man were in Eden at the same time, but Satan was still Lucifer at the time, what could have caused him to, tr to be triggered? What could have caused Satan, uh, Lucifer at that point to be triggered to the point where, you know what, I'm through with this. I'm going to take action on my plan that I've had. I believe, and this goes back to what point two is, understanding the history of demons and Satan himself, who is their master. I believe, Genesis 1.26 says this, God created man in his image. We were created in the image of God. Our very creation was an expression of grace. Because when God created angels, he didn't create them in his image. When God created the cherub, the archangels, when God created every animal, they were not created in the image of God. Only one being in all of the history of eternity was created in the image of God, and that's you and that's me. Could it be that when Lucifer, in his perfect state, saw that God showed this grace to men, because remember, Lucifer, who knows how long he had existed before man was created. Could have been eons, could have been ages and ages and ages, millions and billions of years. Could it be that when God created man in his image, Lucifer saw that happen, looked at grace in motion, that this person, this guy named Adam, didn't have to work for it, didn't have to, he didn't earn anything, and he said, this guy doesn't deserve it, I've been working my tail off. It must have triggered him to the point where he said, I've had enough. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to exalt above the throne of God, above the stars of God. I'm going to sit as God in the mountain of God. I will be like the most high God. That's what Isaiah 14 says. Could it be that he saw Adam created in God's image and he saw, you know what? That, that's not fair. He saw, that's why there's, the devil hates grace. And it's interesting that even in redemption, God's plan of redemption is through grace. Everything God does is by grace through faith. And that's everything Satan has hated from the beginning. Everything Satan's hated from the beginning. So could it be that that was the trigger moment? I believe it was. Now there's no scripture to really prove that. It's all speculation, so don't go and build a doctrine around it. But I, I mean, just from the scriptures that I've read and referred to, it makes sense that that could have been a possible scenario that played out. Now listen to this, talking about the history of the devil. So that's why the devil hates you more than anything, because you are everything he's always wanted and couldn't have it, and he's worked to obtain. You have it by grace through faith. Even when men... Think of it, even when man fell, Satan probably thought, ha ha, I've done, like, thought you were created in God's image, now, now you're in God's hands, and it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God, you're done, he's going to doom you the same way he doomed me and the angels that fell with me, instead, what did God do? No, no, I've got a plan to redeem them, I've got a plan to save them, I've got a plan that whatever they lost because of Adam's sin, they're going to regain because of my son's obedience to the point of death, even the death on the cross. No wonder he hates you, and especially when you get saved. Because when you're saved, the thing that you lost in Eden, Jesus, the Bible says, we put on Christ. Why did man feel naked in the Garden of Eden? Because man lost the Christ-like, the God nature that was, on, that was in him. 
Remember, man is a tripartite being. We're spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit. We have and possess a soul. We live in a body. When man fell by transgression, the spirit of man died. The spirit of man is what has the nature of God. It's what has the divine imprint of God. The spirit of man, Adam, had the, he bore the image of God. He looked like God. He smelt like God. He, he walked and talked like God. Everything, every animal that he named, that was its name. He had the authority and dominion that only God could have, that God had delegated to him. When he sinned, he immediately fell naked because he lost, he lost that God nature in him. When Jesus came and by his blood redeemed us, that God nature, you know, Colossians chapter, uh, chapter 2, I believe it is, says that we have now put on the image of him who created us. We've put on, Ephesians 4 says we put off the old man that grows corrupt continually. We've been renewed in the spirit of our mind and we've put on the new man, which is created according to God. We've put on Christ. Paul said it this way. It's no longer I who lives now in Christ. In Christ Jesus, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. The old body of sin's been done away with. It's Christ that lives in me. So that God nature has come back alive in you. Uh, 2 Peter 1.4 says, His divine nature. He has given us His divine nature. He has given us His divine nature. We have partakers of the very nature of God. So it's no wonder Satan hates you. It's no wonder he has this unhealthy obsession to kill you, to destroy your body, to put sickness on people. But the good news is, is that we have something called the shield of faith that no matter how angry and no matter what type of tantrum he decides to throw, I'm not going to be bullied by him because I'm not subject to him. He's subject to me because the Bible says, Jesus said, I give you, my disciples, dominion over Satan and all his cohorts and over all the power of the devil and nothing will ever by any means harm you or destroy you because I... I've given you authority over it. So what's the history of the devil? Listen to this, Isaiah 14. So I read before, he said, I'm gonna, I, I will ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Yet you will be brought down to Sheol, God said, and to the lowest depths of the pit. Verse 16, listen to this. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man that made the nations tremble or shook? kingdoms who made the world as a wilderness who destroyed its cities who did not open the house of its uh, of its prisoners the bible says that the history of satan was not a very good one it, it's not uh, he doesn't have a great track record he tried to uh battle against god and gain victory against God. And all it resulted in was his rear end being cast down to the earth. And the Bible says that there's going to be a day in the future, not yet, that we're going to walk past the devil. This is this Isaiah's prophesying of a future day when all will see you, the Bible says, and those who see you will gaze at you. I believe this will be on Satan's ultimate judgment in Revelation 20. The Bible says all who see you will gaze at you and consider saying, oh my goodness, no wonder, 
No wonder my family was in disarray. No wonder my marriage never worked out. No wonder sickness plagued our family. No wonder uh, poverty was, you know, impossible to defeat. No wonder victory was never had on the earth. Look at this guy. God wanted us to match up against this with his red tail and horned devil and big pitchfork and flames coming out of his eyes. This big 14-foot thing. No wonder we were, we were outmatched. We were at a great disadvantage. It's not what it says. It says those who look at him are actually going to consider him and say, wait, this is what he looks like? Is this the man that made the earth tremble? This is what he looks like? This is the guy that's been working overtime to make my family the way it was on the earth? I wish I had known before time I would have dealt with it. I would have had more boldness to cast this scrawny behind out of my house a lot earlier if I had known that. See, this is why I said my objective today is to put a, 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 an utter disrespect in, in, in a, a lack of reverence for the devil and his work and to put a holy boldness and superiority complex in you by the because of the spirit of God living in you over Satan and over over what the devil's trying to do in your life because there's far too many believers this this is why I preach on this there's too many believers that are blood bought blood washed redeemed filled with the spirit of God made the temple of God given the same level of authority and power as everybody else that are living with a yoke of slavery on their neck and are held captive and snared by the devil even though the prison door's been open you know the bible says in Isaiah 14:17 I said it who did not open the house of his prisoners so the prison doors is open Isaiah 61 says the anointing opens up the prison doors and yet, even though the prison doors are open, even though God said you're free, even though salvation was the end all for the believer, it is finished, Jesus said. The debt's been paid. The curse of sin has been dealt with. The devil himself is now under your feet. But because, because they, they constantly have this picture that I don't know where they get it from, Either Hollywood, they watched the exorcism movie when they were younger. They watched too much uh, Hollywood movies that depicts exorcisms as these, you know, cowardly priests coming in with like a cross in their hand and a garlic in the other hand. And they're like, Satan and I, and they're coming in shaking and all that. And maybe that's why people have a fear of the devil. Or maybe it's because preachers have told them that the devil's some formidable foe and, you know, we should ultimately, you know, be careful how we speak. You know, every time I talk about deliverance, seems like someone in my family or someone gets... <laughs> like, who's winning the battle? Are we on the losing side or are we on the winning side? Are we not children of light and light shines out darkness? Or are we children of the shadow still under some sort of dominion of hell and our ultimate victory has not yet been had? Which if you preach that, you're in heresy because Jesus said it was finished. And so if you're saying it's not finished, I'm going to go with what Jesus said over than what you said. That's why I have a, an anger. Not at the people that are struggling. I'm angry at the belief behind the people that are struggling. 
That they think they have to continue on like this. That they think that this is just an regular, you know, a regular part of life. Or they think that, you know, Bible says we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So we're not promised victory. Who said you're not promised victory? If you're going to learn to cast out devils, you're going to learn first that you need to have dominion over devils in your own life. You give no room. You see, that's the problem. When you start to have, the devil doesn't have any power. Jesus already said, all power and all authority has been given unto me. He already said that. So I'm not a mathematician, but if he has all power and he has all authority, then how much power or how much authority does the devil have left? Answer me that. Zero. If there's eight pieces of pie on your counter and I go ahead and eat all eight pieces of pie, how much eight pieces of pie do you still have left on that counter that you can eat? No pieces of pie. I ate all eight pieces of pie. There's no more pieces of authority left for the devil to even have. That's why the Bible doesn't say he is a roaring lion. It says he's like a roaring lion. He's actually just a mouse with a microphone. He's a kitty cat. He's been defanged. He's been declawed. He's got nothing over you. But if he can get you to have an improper belief that he indeed still has something over you, then he's got you in captivity and he can do, he can manipulate, he can influence, he can, he can hold you down as long as he wants, as long as you believe that but the moment light comes that's why the bible says the entrance of god's word brings light and light shines out darkness ezekiel 28 listen to this i love this version of satan's history listen to this because if you don't know what the devil what the bible says about satan you're just gonna believe anything the world or, or 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 people say about satan if you don't know what the bible says about satan you're just going to believe anything. And be not uh, deceived. Your belief about Satan is going to greatly affect your ability to handle him. Your ability to cast him out. Your ability to destroy his work everywhere you go. If you believe you're eye to eye with him, you're going to have a hard... You, I've, always, I've preached this before. There's three levels of Christians. There's those that don't believe in anything the Bible says about the spiritual world. They just, you know, told, they don't ever preach on demons. They don't preach on the devil at all. And, and they struggle because of it. And they just take medication and all that just, you know, to, to cope in life. Instead of having victory, they chose to cope. Two, there's the believers that they fully understand there's a spirit world out there. And they are always doing spiritual warfare. But their version of spiritual warfare is... Is just constantly, Satan, I bind you, I bind you, you know, and they're all as if he's like a slippery fish. He's getting out of your hands here and all. And it's like every day, you know, we got to go into warfare. We got to go into warfare. And, and they're constantly, uh, they, they, they try to pro project themselves as spiritual people, but really it's just worry in disguise. And they're always battling demons. How, I'm a, how many of you know I'm battling demons today? But I'm, I, I feel like I'm in warfare today. If your life is just constantly battling demons, you're doing it wrong. And I'm going to explain why. So number one, people that totally reject the idea of the reality of the spiritual world. Two, people that are obsessed over it. And all they do is battle demons, battle that, battle this. And they're just overly obsessed with the spiritual realm. And that's where a lot of weird Christians come from. And then there's three. And this is the category I belong to. 
and I believe you do too, and if not, you'll belong to it by the end of this broadcast. Third category of Christians is those that understand their superiority over the devil and don't they don't they don't bother any time praying about him. Do you know there's not one? Do you know there's not one prayer in the New Testament that is uh, dedicated by the church towards the about the devil? The early church never prayed about the devil. The early church never concerned themselves about the devil. You don't see Peter going around saying, "And Father, I just pray that you'd give us power over this demon in this region." They just went and cast out devils. They just went as the light of the world and did what light does. You don't have to pray for light to bring dark uh, to, to cast out darkness. When light comes, darkness leaves. You know, in the it's amazing. You think of it this way. In the Old Testament, they didn't have any revelation of the devil. Very, very little. Very little. I wouldn't say any. That's a wrong statement. I would say they don't have, they did not have much revelation of the devil. Other than Genesis 3, Job's story, but that's about it. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, that was it. They didn't have much revelation about the devil. Neither did they have any revelation about uh, what we have in the New Testament. In Ephesians 2, saying that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above principality. So they didn't have that. But isn't it interesting that in the Old Testament, Elijah exercised dominion over devils. Now, there's no record of him casting out a devil. Actually, you don't see anybody cast out a devil in the entire Old Testament. But you see him raising the dead. You see him healing the sick at command. You see him... When the devil steered up Jezebel to send a garrison of troops to arrest him, he called fire down from heaven and destroyed them. So you see him commanding this authority over the realm of darkness without, with a limited knowledge of the devil and his works. So if he was able to do that, and now we have further knowledge of our authority over his works, how much more should we now exercise and hold that position of dominion. Instead of always wondering uh, whether we're stepping on his toes. Ezekiel 28, listen to this. Son of man, verse 12, take up a lamentation. I love the New Living Translation. It says, son of man, sing a funeral song for the king of Tyre. I love that. Because there, <clears throat> you go to some churches, and it's crazy. It's like the whole service is about the devil. Their songs are about binding devils. Then you go into the preaching, and the preaching, it, 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 it seems like it's exalting the devil more than it's doing anything else. Then you go uh, at the altar call. All they're doing is like, you know, a bunch of non-scriptural things to cast out devils. And it's like the whole service is just around, uh, around the devil rather than being Christocentric and exalting Christ. When the Bible says we're not, to, we're not to worry about the devil, we're to sing a funeral song about the devil. You don't have to sing songs exalting the devil or preach sermons exalting the devil. You should sing songs talking about the devil's funeral. Preach sermons talking about his funeral, talking about his, his demise, talking about his defeat. Listen to this. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. So that's talking about his state before his fall. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. That's what I was saying before. He was in Eden, in, in his perfect state. 
the sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx. They were all prepared for you on the day you were created. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you, God said. You were, the, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as profane, out of the mountain of God. And listen to this, Ezekiel 28, 16. And I destroyed you. I destroyed you. I cast you out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you. It doesn't say I will destroy you. It doesn't say that one day, uh, one, one day I'm going to destroy you. It doesn't refer to a futuristic event. This is saying the moment Satan was cast out of heaven, he lost everything that we just Everything the Bible credited to him in his perfect state, he lost. Then move on, verse, verse 19. Verse 18. Therefore I brought fire from your midst, and it devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Verse 19. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You've become a horror, and you will be no more forever. So that doesn't paint a picture of some glorious foe. That talks about a defeated foe. Understand this. And always remember this. All, pay special attention to what I'm about to say. It's going to change your life. Always think of Satan as an eternally defeated foe. Don't think of him as someone that needs to be defeated. Think of him as what the Bible says. Someone that is already eternally defeated. Revelation chapter 12, listen to this. Revelation 12, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. So this is describing the fall of Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was any place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast down with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies, and they did not love their lives even unto death. Verse 12, and remember this, if you're saved, the Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. This is what the Bible says for those that dwell in heaven. My citizenship's in heaven. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devils come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. So Satan was cast out of heaven, uh, Satan was cast out of heaven and the Bible says he was eternally defeated at that point. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 2. I'm quoting a lot of scripture because that's, that's where the power is. Not in men's opinions, it's, it's in the word of God. Hebrews chapter 2, listen to this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Jesus took on flesh and blood. That through death, through Jesus' death, he might destroy him who had, who had, who had the power of death. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
So the Bible says the devil had the power to destroy, had the power of death. Now, Jesus disarmed, Colossians 2.14, principalities. He disarmed powers, and he made a public display, a humiliation of hell at the cross, having triumphed over the devil in it. And Jesus didn't defeat the devil for himself. He was already the victorious one. Jesus didn't conquer death, hell, and the grave for himself. He was already the conquering one. The Bible is very clear to say that Jesus' victory over Satan was for us. Jesus' conquering, his conquest was for us. Jesus' disarming of the devil was for us. So that means Jesus' victory is my victory. Jesus' conquest becomes my conquest. Everything Jesus did was for me. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I give you power and authority to go and enforce that victory on the earth. So now, let me get into four simple points on how I learned to cast out demons. Now, why do I say this? Why, why did I title this, How I Learned to Cast Out Devils? Because the first time I cast out a devil was in 2000 and I think it was 2016. I was in Ontario preaching at a church. And we had a great, great service. We had many people get saved that day. And at the end of the service, I was counseling someone at the side, and uh, at the side of the sanctuary. And one of the ushers came up to me and said, Brother, there is a lady that's manifesting a demon in the back room. This is my first ministry trip ever. He goes, there's a, a lady manifesting demons in the, in the back room. Would you come and pray for her? Now, I was, uh, you know, 23 years old at the time, 24 years old. I had never cast out a devil in my life. But what I had done is I had read the Gospels many times. So I, I knew that even though I was incredibly inexperienced in doing this because I had never done it before, I had enough experience in the Word. I had been so drunk off God's Word in my superiority over the devil that I immediately... Even though I I may not have felt I may not have felt uh, you know confidence in myself, I immediately like it was like a lion rose up in me and I said yes I'm coming, and there was this confidence this holy boldness that came on me, so I walked to the back, and I saw there was about like four or five people around her and there was this lady now she looked like a sweet lady she looked like you know what could have been my grandmother for goodness sakes. She was in one of those like walker wheelchairs, you know, the, like the one that you can sit on, but uh, you can also turn in front of you and you can walk on. She was in one of those things and she uh, looked like a sweet lady and they were asking her questions. They were saying, you know, and I don't understand these questions and I uh, personally, I believe you don't have to ask any questions when you're casting out a devil. I think the name of Jesus is enough to cast out any devil and we're going to get into that, but I... I saw them asking all these questions. Do you have any owls in your home? Do you have any, uh, you know, all these things. I, I forget exactly what kind of questions they were doing. They were asking her. And I saw her, like, which she was struggling to answer them. And finally, after about three minutes, of, you know, I wanted to be respectful. I was a young minister. I'm still a young minister. But especially at that time, I didn't want to come off as some arrogant person and just walk in and say, hey, I'm here. Get out of here. You know, they were like elders in that church. So I waited a little while. I let them have their turn. And then finally they said, brother, would you pray? Well, I immediately ins inserted myself and I came next to her 
And I knew she was, she was, this was real. This wasn't like a product of her imagination because she wouldn't look at me the entire time I was there. She looked down and she'd look away from me. And so I, when they asked me, would you pray? I just went to her, grabbed her hand and I, this is like an old lady, but I knew I wasn't dealing with an old lady. Understand this. When you're casting out a devil, the conflict is not between you and another person. The conflict, conflict is between the Christ in you and the devil in them. So I grabbed her and I pulled her towards me hard with boldness. And I looked at her straight in the eye and I said, do you want to be made free? You want to be delivered? You want to be set free lady? And she said, like with a struggle, trying to get the word out. She said, yes. And you could tell her voice was manipulated. It was like something trying to hold her from speaking, something strangling her. And she said, yes. And I said, well, then grabbed her head. I said, by the authority of the name of Jesus Christ that, that's, that's been given to me to cast out devils, I cast you out, you foul devil, in Jesus' name. When I did that, she fell as though dead. I'm not kidding. She, she fell. I thought she had a heart attack, to be honest with you. I thought I scared the living daylights out of her. She was an older lady. No, she, she wasn't 85 years old, but she was like, you know, in her 70s probably. I thought I killed her. So I just turned around, lifted my hands as if I had done this a hundred thousand times before. And I started to thank God and praise God. Really, I was thanking the Lord that I wasn't going to get sued. Imagine that my first ministry trip and I have a lawsuit from the family that I killed their grandmother. That's not something I wanted. So I just started to thank the Lord that she wasn't dead and that, you know, she was in fact delivered of an unclean spirit. I began to praise the Lord about what felt like half an hour went by, but it was really just a minute, a minute later. And, I, you know, then the, the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit reminded me of Mark 9, that when Jesus cast the demon out of a, a young boy, he fell as though dead. And for a little while, he looked dead. So I remember that. That brought me great comfort because at least she just looks dead. She might not actually be dead. I wasn't going to go and check for a pulse. It was a serious moment. So I, I kept, I lifted my hands, started to thank the Lord. About a minute later, I see her come to her senses. When she opened up her eyes, it was like two new eyes were there. And I, I came straight to her and I said, now, obviously, you don't, uh, you, this was like in my infancy. You don't have to do this every time. You don't have to do this at all. But I just had remembered reading in Paul's letters that no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. So if the demon was still in her, she wouldn't be able to say this. So I said, say Jesus is Lord. Say Jesus is Lord. And she started to say, she was still choked out. She said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And then she said, when she said that, like, clearly, the fourth or fifth time, without anybody asking her, she got up out of her wheelchair and began to walk out un unhindered. Never been to church in her life. This was her first time. She starts to lift her hands in, like, joy, in great joy. She's totally different now. I lay my hands on her, and I said, now that that unclean spirit left, receive ye the Holy Ghost. When I prayed that, the Holy Spirit fell on her. She, no, never been to church. She began to speak in unknown tongues. She began to, began to speak in other, other tongues, began to, uh, to praise the Lord, start saying hallelujah, hallelujah. Find out a, a month and a half later, the pastor writes me in an email saying that that lady you prayed for, not only did she not go back to the wheelchair and she's not only like walking in freedom, she's got a wonderful voice. She leads senior uh, our, our seniors group on Wednesday mornings at the church. She leads worship for them. And she's totally delivered, totally set free, you know, filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, that was my first encounter with a demon power. And I had, I've had many since then. 
But I, I want to make this very clear to you. My ability to handle that demon and every other demon after that. And I, I've, I've cast out demons in other nations, Peru, Dominican Republic, uh, near Haiti's border. I, I've cast out devils in America, in Canada. I've done it, I've done it uh, in every, every nation that I've preached it. None of my theology that I got and the boldness and courage I got in casting out a devil was given from a minister that taught based on his experience. All my theology and all my doctrine and demonology and my dominion over demons was received by the word of God or by ministers that preached God's word and quoted God's word to back up everything. Don't ever take your uh, doctrinal position in anything based on somebody's experience with something, based on somebody's uh, opinion about something, based on, you know, what they've experienced in their life. Well, no, my experience has been, you know, it doesn't matter. Jesus, the word of God, the apostles, they are, our Jesus especially, is our ultimate example on how to conduct ourselves here on the earth and make that a, res a resolve for you today. I resolve, no matter what I've heard, no matter what I've learned, if Jesus didn't do it that way, I'm not doing it that way. So how did I learn, how I learned to cast out devils? I started with that testimony to show you that the following four things that I'm going to tell you were things I knew then, and they're things that I know now, and they still work now, and they'll work 50 years from now, and they'll never stop working. And if they work for me, they'll work for you. Number one, understand, we're commanded to do it. So I learned to cast out devils, first and foremost, by reading Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, and beginning with verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their hardness of heart and their unbelief, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So nobody debates that. That that's a command that Jesus gave his disciples. Nobody ever comes. You don't, see, you don't hear preachers, at least, you know, preachers that have some level of dignity. They won't come up on their broadcasts or in their pulpits on Sunday morning and say, you know, how many of you know we don't preach the gospel anymore? That's something that Jesus told the first century believers, but it's not something we're called to do anymore. No, nobody says that. Nobody with half a brain would ever say that. It's very clear. That's not disputed or, or argued. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, if that's not argued, then we got to pay attention to everything else Jesus is about to say. Because if you argue one of the things Jesus says after that, then you got to argue the very first thing that Jesus told us to do, and that's to preach the gospel. So what other things did Jesus command? Not suggest, not give an opinion on, not he, he gave his two cents on, not something he said, here's a hobby you can do to entertain yourself before I come back. It's going to be a while. So here's some things you can preoccupy yourself with. These are commands. He said, preach the gospel. He who believes is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name. So the first thing he says before he goes on to anything else. He says, in my name, they will cast out demons they will cast out demons so the number one thing you have to establish if you're going to learn to cast out demons is that 
You are commanded to do it. Jesus told his, his disciples, go and preach the kingdom. This is Luke chapter 9. Heal the sick that are there. So that's another thing. We're not only called to cast out demons, we're, we're called to heal the sick. It's a violation of God's order and program to just preach the gospel and not cast out demons and not deal with the sick that are there. It's a violation of God's perfect order. I'm not called to just preach. Jesus didn't just preach. I want to be Christ-like. I'll do it like he did it. He preached, he taught, he healed, and he drove demons out of people. Mark 1, he gets to the synagogue, begins to read from the scroll. Immediately, a man with an unclean spirit couldn't stand the presence of Christ in that room. And he said, what have we to do together, O son of the most high God? Have you come to destroy us before the time? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus said, come out. So he didn't just read the scroll. That happened, and then he, he addressed the crowd and said, you see... What a shame that some people are tormented by demons, even to this day and this age. Would be wonderful if we had power to deal with that. No, he drove, come out, shut up and come out. And then he told his disciples, you've seen me go around telling demons to shut up and come out. Well, that same superiority that I have over demons, I give you the same keys, the same level of authority, the same power by the spirit of God. To drive demons out of others. So number one, understand I'm commanded to cast out devils. And I want, to, I want you to understand this too. Any believer, no matter where you might have been before you clicked onto this broadcast, any believer can become a devil master overnight by simply believing what I'm, these four things that I'm about to tell you. Any believer, doesn't matter if you feel like you're the pinky toe in the body of Christ, doesn't matter if you feel like you're the most insignificant Christian in all of Christendom, any believer can gain devil mastery overnight by the end of this broadcast. Number two, understand Jesus is our example. You read the first five chapters of the book of Mark and you see Jesus casting out devils, not in this long bout with devils. He didn't spend six hours with the gathering demoniac. He didn't spend four hours trying to cast the demon out of that man that was in the synagogue. He didn't get to the, the man's child in Mark chapter 9. And he told Luke, hey Luke, can you come here take my coat? It's about to get ugly. He didn't have these like uh, dramatic constant const, um these dramatic contests with the with the, the with the presence of demons wherever he went it's the devil that wants to make things look dramatic because when he when a devil convulses in a person when you see a, a demon manifest and they're right you know what's his uh, lester summerall said the very first time he had to cast the demon out was in uh, java indonesia he was preaching at a little church and when he got to the church, there was a lady in the first row. Now, they didn't speak English. He had an interpreter that was translating his sermon. The lady that was sitting in the first row, the moment Lester Sumrall took the, serv the service and said, Hallelujah, she, she fell to the ground and began to writhe like a snake on the ground. Lester Sumrall said, without even the interpreter, the interpreter was just shocked. He actually sat down. The interpreter did not interpret what Lester Sumrall said, but Lester Sumrall piped up and with a bold commanding shout said, you dumb devil, come out of her. Immediately, 
The lady got back on the chair and sat down, listened to the entire sermon, and at the end came up to get saved and was delivered and became a faithful member of that church. The, the interpreter never interpreted what Lester Summerall said. So that demon obviously, you know, understood English. Demons understand English. You don't have to say it in a specific language. You don't have to use Jesus' name in Hebrew for him to... He understands and respects. Devil, de devils and demons and, and, and forces of darkness understand one thing, and that's authority. Authority that's in Jesus' name. So when you have these huge contestations between uh, a minister and someone that's demonized, it's actually the demon that's, tr that's trying to win that battle. Because he's trying to strike fear in everyone else that's watching to be intimidated. Uh, and he's trying to put this like dramatic show of power to strike fear in the people that are watching. So I don't stand for that C-A-R-P, crap in my services. If I see someone manifest, I deal with it right away. And I never let it go on long. And I've never, and I'm telling you this, and I've had to cast out many demons. I've never, in my history of casting out devils, I've never had to spend more than five minutes, not even. It'd be like three minutes with, with, a, with, 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 uh, with someone that was manifesting. I've never spent more than three minutes. And even three minutes is too long. That was like irritating to me. It, it frustrated me. Most, I'd say 99% of every devil that I've cast out was the moment I got near. Some people, I never even touched their heads. I just got near. I was about to touch their head and I said in the name of G, the moment I did that, I, I didn't even feel, I didn't even finish Zus yet. I just said in the name of G, the moment I said it, they were already on the ground manifesting and then the thing was out. The thing was out instantly, instantly. Jesus never spent more than five minutes dealing with a demon. And he's our example. So if we're going to learn how to cast out demons the Jesus way, then we're going to have to study how he did it. Mark 1 through 5. The whole book of Mark, actually, it, it documents a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, of, of, uh, Many of the stories of Jesus casting out demons, all in one, you know, all in one book. But especially the first five chapters, they deal with Jesus. It deals with Jesus casting out demons time and time again. And the Bible oftentimes says, with his word, he cast out the demon. In Matthew chapter 8, it says, and with a word, the demons left. The Bible says that immediately the spirit convulsed the child and left him. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was greatly annoyed by the demon spirit in that slave girl. And he turned to her and said to the demon, in the name of Jesus, I adjure you, come out. And the demon left that very moment. So you never see in the Bible this long, drawn-out battle that was belaboring both sides. And it was, you know, I always tell the story of Enoch Ereboye. He was asked by, uh, by uh, some of his, uh, his uh, children you know, in the Lord, people that he was discipling, to come and cast a demon out of someone because they had to hold the, the guy down with four or five people and they were, they were unsuccessful. Many, many hours had gone by. So they saw him passing by and they said, Papa Adeboye, could you come and, and, and pray for this man? We've been trying all these hours. He said, I will, but on one condition, you let me pray the moment I get there. He said, okay. He gets there. 
He gets to, to, to the room, sees the man. All he said was this, in the name of Jesus, come out. And then he left the room. Enoch Ediboy left the room. Uh, the guy that had invited him to come and pray grabs him by the arm and says, what, you're leaving already? He said, what do you want me to do? Stay and watch it pack its bags? It's done. I gave the command in faith. It's done. Well, the next day, that man who couldn't be held down by four or five guys, grown men, was perfectly in his right mind sane and was serving tables at their annual convention that they have, uh, the, uh, their annual, annual Holy Ghost convention that they have every year. So there's an aspect of faith in issuing out the command. So you, ha you have to look at how Jesus did it and then imitate Christ and have faith that when you do what Christ did and with the same, obviously you have to have an understanding and that's what we're going to get to uh, in, in point number three, which I'll get to there now. You have to have an understanding of your identity in Christ and, and your, your, uh, your authority in Christ. You have, to, you have to understand your uh, ability and privilege in using the name of Jesus Christ and know what is in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 19, you have the seven sons of Sceva that start saying, uh, we command you. They were trying to exercise a demon. We command you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. They turned to, to the seven sons of Sceva and said, uh, Paul we know, Jesus we know, who the heck are you? So isn't that interesting? The demon knew Jesus, that's obvious, but then says, Paul we know too. So Paul was in the same league as Jesus in the eyes of hell. In hell's eyes, Paul and Jesus were on the same level. Why is that? Well, it's because Paul understood the name of Jesus. Paul understood his identity in Christ. Paul understood that he was seated in heavenly places far above demons and principalities and powers. So because of his understanding, his command had substance behind it. So it's not about just saying, in the name of Jesus, they command you to go. You could, they did that. And look what happened. The demon leaped on them, prevailed against them, and they left that house bruised, wounded, and naked. And they were shame-faced. So what's the difference between the seven sons of Sceva and then Paul, who everywhere he went, he said, I adjure you, come out. And they came out easy, without any effort, without any sweat. Paul understood the name of Jesus. And the seven sons of Sceva, they tried to use the name of Jesus without an understanding of what it meant. They weren't saved. They said, we, we adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They didn't have an, an intimate knowledge of the name of Jesus. They didn't have a relationship with Christ. That's another thing. You want to cast out devils, you're going to have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can't have a relationship with Jesus. You can't not have a relationship with Jesus and expect to operate or walk in the dominion level of Christ. So no, number three, point number three is knowing the name of Jesus and understanding the power tied to it. Philippians 2. And because of Jesus' obedience to the cross, there was given in a name that is above every other name. That at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee in heaven, earth, and beneath the earth shall bow. So that name holds power and authority in all three realms. In heaven, in earth, and under the earth. The Bible says that the knee will bow at the mention, not at the pleading, not at the, 
the, the, the, the constant repetition of the name. You can repeat the name of Jesus until you're blue in the face and there's no more oxygen in your lungs. If you don't understand the power that's inherent, that's loaded up in that name, it's all just vain repetition. Jesus said, don't be like the Gentiles who use vain repetition. And they think that they'll be heard because of that. It's not about vainly repeating the same thing over. It's about how much you understand of that thing that matters. John 14, Jesus said, if you will command anything in my name, I'll enforce it from heaven. So the name of Jesus, the reason why it holds power, understand this, over demons and over the devil himself, is because who's the one that cracked the devil's head 2,000 years ago. It was Jesus. And the same way that if you had a high school bully, and in 30 years from now, you went to your high school reunion, and they said your high school bully was sitting at the same table that you were scheduled to sit at, you would not go to that high school reunion because his very name strikes fear in you. His very name wants you to, it got you to back down. It got you to stay clear away away from that from that uh, high school reunion because his name reminded you of the defeat and the failure and the shame that you suffered 30 years ago well that's what the name of Jesus does the very mention of the name of Jesus it strikes fear it brings back bad memories into the devil and into demons minds as to the severe crack on the head they suffered 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ openly humiliated them before heaven and earth at the cross when he rose from the dead three days later it reminds them of the defeat the shame and public humiliation that they suffered remember this Colossians 2 says that Christ disarmed principalities and powers and made a public humiliation of the devil that word public humiliation in the Greek is actually a word that was used in Roman time when they would uh, they would go out to war against a foreign kingdom and they would win the war they would take their nobles and they'd take their dignitaries and they would take all their politicians from the kingdom that they just uh, conquered and they would parade them on the streets of Rome they would have them walk on the streets of Rome while the people of Rome they would do it to humiliate them they would parade these men on the streets of Rome while the people of Rome would take tomatoes buckets of pea they would they would throw potatoes at them they would throw all kinds of things at them they would they would they would openly curse them openly humiliate them and they would have to walk through the streets of Rome naked so the same word that was used when Rome would do that uh, after coming home from a victory to their enemies, dignitaries, and nobles, Paul uses that when Christ, after he disarmed principalities and powers, he did that same public humiliation between heaven, before heaven and earth. It's like he paraded the devil and the demons openly in all heaven and all earth. Was, 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 uh, exposed to the shame hallelujah knowing the name of jesus number four recognize you're joining together with christ this is i, I in my opinion this is the most important point recognizing you're joining together with christ i quoted a few scriptures before second uh, galatians 2 20 says 
that it is no longer I who lives, Paul said. So Paul didn't think of himself as still old Paul in the flesh. (laughs) No, Paul said, I was crucified. The Paul that lived all those years before I met Christ, he got nailed to that cross. And it's no longer I that lives. Christ lives in me. If you're going to cast out devils with boldness and not be slapped around like the seven sons of Sceva were, not only do you need to know the power and understand the power in the name of Jesus, but you need to recognize that when you got saved, you died to your old man, you were raised up in newness of life, and 2 Corinthians 6 says, we have been joined together, united with Christ, and have become one spirit with him. The same way the devil sees Jesus is the same way he sees me, by virtue of my union with Christ. It's not Christ and then me. It's I am in Christ and Christ is in me. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 5, 16 and 17. It says, just as we no longer regard Christ according to the flesh, you should no longer regard yourself as according to the flesh any longer. Meaning just like Jesus, he's not flesh and blood anymore. He's, he, he's ascended as the lion of the tribe of Judah that has prevailed. Even so, don't look at yourself as just flesh and blood anymore. His victory marked your victory. And we now are more than conquerors through Christ. And then he goes on to say, if any man's in Christ now, you're a new creation. You're not a human anymore. You're not human. You're not the old you. You're a new creation, a new species of being, something the world's never seen. The Bible says it's Christ now in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, we are now members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. John 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he says, Father, just as I have been one in you, now that they're redeemed, may they be one in me, and I in you, and I and us in them. Joined together in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So my question to you now is, do you see Christ going around worrying about demonic presences in certain regions that he was going in and he was wondering what, how he was going to get by that and, you know, I'm going to have to fast a little extra today. No. Mark, Mark 5, he goes into the country of the Gadarenes, a man who couldn't be bound by shackles or chains, who had been uh, oftentimes... Oftentimes, they had tried to tame him, but he couldn't. He would oftentimes break out of the shackles and chains. He was found in the mountains and in the tombs, and he would cut himself with stones, and man could not provide a solution for him. That that man that had over 2,000 demons, when Jesus' right foot hit the shores of the Gadarene region, it wasn't Jesus was like, oh, I feel an evil presence here. That demon came and rushed to where Jesus was, bowed his face to the ground and said, I know who you are. I don't want problems. Tell me what I have to do. He said, come out. He said, please, if you're going to throw us out, can we at least go in those pigs? Notice how it wasn't like, no, I'm not coming out. It was, see, when the devil replies, I'm not coming out, it's, there's something wrong there. 
He'll try and do it the first and second time. I'm not saying it won't ever happen. There are demons that'll say, I'm not coming out. They're going to try and resist. You know, they oppose what God's trying to do, of course. But you notice you can get to a point like Jesus had in the anointing where there's not even the I'm not coming out. It's the, where do you want us to go? We don't want trouble here. Please, please, uh, can we at least go into those pigs? We don't want to have any show here. We know who you are. We've seen your badge. We've seen your gun. We understand that authority. We out. Just tell us where to go. You can get to that level of, you, can, you, can, you actually have that level of authority, but you can get to the level of understanding of that authority so you actually start to exercise and walk in the fullness of that authority. So Jesus, his right foot hits the ground, the demon comes to him. Well, if that's how they reacted for him, well, now that I've been joined together with Christ Jesus, it's not Jesus and then me. It's us together. I'm seated in Christ in heavenly places. Far above principalities and powers. All that Christ is, is in you. In the devil's eyes, you and Christ are one. So number four is recognizing you're joining together with Christ. Recognizing that greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. That you didn't receive the Holy Spirit's twin brother who's like the socially awkward one and he, he's not as powerful as the main Holy Spirit Jesus had. It's the same spirit. And greater is that spirit who lives in you than he that is in the world. When you walk with that understanding... You don't walk as a coward. You walk as a lion. You're not walking around hoping, uh, you know, hoping the devil doesn't get in my way. It's like, get in my way. Do you think a guy in a bulldozer, I mean, is worried about ants that get in his way as he's bulldozing a lot of land? Or like, let's say those steamrollers there. You think, that's the visual picture I have right now. You think that the guy operating the steamroller on like a driveway, trying to flatten the land, is worried about ants? He's like, I hope no ants get in my way. If an ant gets in my way, I don't know. I'm going to have to go the other way. Or does he not just keep on going and then he just flattens the ants as they come? Well, you have to see yourself. Now that the Holy Ghost is in you, you're a spirit-filled, spirit-filled steamroller. You're not at a disadvantage. The devil's at a disadvantage. You're not at sub subject to him. He's subject to you. He's not a, you're not under his command. He's under your command because of the name of Jesus and the Spirit of God that lives and dwells in us. He's not eye to eye with you. He's not over your head. He's under your feet. And then I'll add in an extra point. Number five, and this is important. You have to live holy. How I learned to cast out de devils. One, I learned to cast out devils by first knowing that God commanded me to do it. So it was something that I can do. If God commanded me to do it, then it's something I can obviously do. Two, I learned to cast out devils by understanding... Uh, what did I put? Number two. Number two, I learned to cast out devils by understanding Jesus as my example. I looked to him. 
I saw that he never struggled to do it. So I knew that I wasn't going to struggle in doing it. And if there was ever a struggle, then it's something I have to fast and pray more so that the fa- there wouldn't be a struggle. As you fast and pray, Jesus said, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. So there's this development. I'm not saying you gain more authority, but what happens is you gain more faith in your authority that you already have, and it becomes easier to give a commanding, a commanding shout. And then number three, how I learned to cast out devils, knowing the name of Jesus Christ. Understanding the power of the name of Jesus Christ enabled me to not, you know, go around questioning, hey devil, what's your name? We need to discover what the name of this demon is if we're going to cast it out. You don't have to. I know this might fly in the face of some teaching, but you don't have to know the name of a demon. You really don't. One time Jesus said, what is your name? Why he did it? I don't know. But every other time, he didn't ask what the name was. He just cast it out. You unclean spirit, come out. You foul spirit, come out. You foul devil of infirmity, come out. There is a, the reason why I don't care what the name of the demon is, is because I know the name of my God, and it's far above, and it exceeds in power and authority any name of demon. So it really doesn't matter uh, what the name of the demon is. Number four, recognize you're joining together with Christ. Recognize that it's Christ. Know ye not that Jesus Christ lives in you. And so the Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, as he is, so are we in this world. So if Christ, who... Who, 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 who um, it rules by his power, who, if Christ, who's, who never struggled with demon powers, who always gave a word and it came out, if as he is, so are we in this world, then I, I expect to have no, no different of a story. And then I finish with this, and that's, that's uh, number five. You need to live holy. You need to live holy. And this is important because... You can know all this, but if you're still in sin, the devil is going to openly mock you and whip your tail. Now, important to clarify, if you still carry a consciousness of the sins that you've done, that Jesus clearly forgave you of and you've repented of, the devil will openly mock you in the same way. If you walk around in condemnation even though you've repented of sin but you still carry condemnation and a consciousness of the sins you've done constantly reminiscing of your past it, it it's you're gonna pay for it you're not gonna have a, a, a voice of authority when you give a command for a demon to leave because the devil's gonna detect there's insecurity in this one and he's not gonna respect it true boldness by the Holy Ghost comes in our understanding of the fullness of redemption. Not only did Jesus forgive me, he buried my sins in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be recalled to memory again. Doesn't matter what the devil brings up. You know, that'll happen. Some, you know, some, I've heard of it. Demons saying, after what you've done, you think I'm going to come out of this person? Hey, that's in the past. And you know what else is in the past? Your destruction. And I'm enforcing that today. Come out. The devil tries to remind you of your past, remind him of his past, then remind him of his ultimate future, and then take action on the past of the, what Jesus ultimately did on the cross and destroyed the power of the devil. And if Jesus destroyed the power of the devil, then how much easier should it be to cast out all his minions, his cohorts, his demons? So... You have to get rid of sin or the devil is going to make an open mockery of you. 
And then you have to get rid of condemnation if you've repented of sin. And start to understand, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I Because the devil, he told Jesus in the wilderness, you think you're the son of God? He tried to get him to doubt his identity. You think the devil's not going to try and do that with you? Try and get you to doubt your, authentic, your, your, your identity and try and get you to doubt your righteousness and try and get you to doubt your authority in actually doing Christ's work to cast out demons. He'll try and point out to fa failures or whatever. Doesn't, those are in the past. I'm not what I used to be. I'm a new creation. Part of that new creation reality is I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I appear before God without any sense of inferiority, any sense of condemnation, and I have no more guilt. How I learned to cast out demons. Those are the five, five simple points that enabled me to, ca to cast out that devil and that first lady I talked about, and that, that testimony I gave, and then ever since then, with ease. With ease. I know there's some preachers, they, they hate when you talk like that. You can actually cast the devil out with ease. Oh no, they make it sound like it's so easy. Let me tell you, I've had my fair share of encounters with demons, and it's not easy. Then you ain't doing it right. I'm sorry. Because the apostles were, they didn't, they didn't bat an eye at demon power. I said it before, there's not one record of the early church praying about the devil. All you see is the early church ex expelling devils everywhere they went. I don't know about you, but I'd rather mimic the early church than the modern church. Hallelujah. If you're watching right now, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that right now. You need to do that. Or the devil's going to have a field day in your life. You're no match for the devil in your unredeemed state. You're no match for the devil without Christ. You, you're under his power and under his dominion and under his rule and under his tyranny and he'll continue to slap you around until you say enough is enough i'm putting sin away i'm cutting sin out of my life because if you don't if you don't cut sin out uh you, you're you're maintaining that spiritual connection to everything the devil wants to do in your life when you cut sin out you cut the spiritual connection you had to the devil and to his plans. And then when you give your life to Christ, you're connecting yourself to what God wants to do in your life. The Bible is very clear in what he wants to do, to do for you and do to you and do through you. The Bible says, I have plans to do you good, not to give you destruction or harm you, but to give you prosperity and a hope and a future. The Bible says, I was sent to, to Jesus said, I, I have come to destroy the work of the devil. He didn't come to destroy man's lives. He came to destroy the devil's work in man's lives so that you can have life more abundantly. So if you're watching right now and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that today before it's eternally too late. Let me tell you, brother. Let me tell you, sister. Heaven is real, but so is hell. It's a real place that wasn't created for you. It was created for the devil, and it was created for his angels and his demons. Heaven was created for you. God has a place for you there. But the only way you can lay claim to that mansion, that golden mansion in heaven, is if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And there's only one way to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And it's very simple. 
Bible says, as many as received Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become children of God. Have you received Christ? Have you admitted that you're a sinner in need of his grace? Have you admitted that, or have you believed on the gospel that God raised Christ from the dead? And have you consecrated and committed your life to Jesus Christ from this day onward? If you haven't, you need to do that today. Pray this with me from the bottom of your heart. This is not an option. This, you have to do this. You have to do this. Because the time is ticking and the day of the Lord's coming is approaching and it's approaching quickly. And the Bible says those that are in Christ will be caught up. I don't want you to be left behind in those seven awful years of tribulation where the Antichrist will rise and it's going to be the seven worst years on earth that the earth has ever known. There's a way out. The ark door is still open. Noah preached the flood was coming for many years and they mocked him and they scoffed him until the rain started falling. The rain hasn't fallen yet, but it's about to fall. The ark door is still open. There's still time to repent and be saved. Do that today. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I repent today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. I'll never be the same. From today, I will live for you. And though none go with me, still I will follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.